And this is Jesus speaking to the people at the Sermon on the Mount. And Abby will join me. <laughs> Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for this day. I thank you for uh, every person that has come here this morning. I just pray that we would seek to reflect you more and more, that our lives in this church would, would model the example that Christ gave us more and more. I thank you that your word instructs us on all things for our eternal lives, but also on how we should pray. And so I just pray that we would make your name holy, uh, that we would give you the glory that you deserve. I pray that your will would be done in this church and among us. And I just pray that we would be a people that would forgive others as you have forgiven us, as we have had the example of the perfect sacrificial love and forgiveness through your son. So I just thank you and just pray that we would glorify your name this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. You can have a seat. The office can be dismissed. Uh, if you've been following along uh, with the news over the last couple years now, uh, there's been a lot of debates about Christian nationalism. Uh, and you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with 1 Timothy chapter 2, which is where we'll be this morning? Uh, well, Christian nationalism has a few different types of groups and a few different types of approaches that they have been looking at the world. One group might say, well, we want our leaders of our country to just follow the Bible. Uh, another group might say, well, that's those people that did that riot on January 6th. Or another group might say, well, you know, we want to uh, have Christian principles and value things that are Christian, like abolishing abortion. Christian principles have influenced our country, and so why wouldn't we continue? Everyone's a theologian. They all have ideas about God and who He is and what He's done, and so why wouldn't we follow what the Bible says uh, about that? Maybe the government, just like a church, is ran by fallible people. So maybe you're opposed to some of that. Christianity is not about our own self-interest. Give it time and any group that leads will tend to look inward for self-preservation. How much of the debate about Christian nationalism or what you might think that is on either side of the argument is just give me what I want. But Christianity, it crosses borders. The church is around the entire world. 
America isn't the center of the church, nor will America be the center of the things that surround our time together in heaven. We won't sing our patriotic songs about America in heaven with our North Korean brothers and sisters in Christ. So why is this important for our text this morning? Well, you probably have heard a phrase in our passage this morning over the last three years. I know we've said that here in our context, to pray for a specific group of people. Pray for your rulers and authorities, for our president, for our governor, for those who lead our country. Those are good things. But the Lord's Prayer reminds us, and that's why I had John start us out with that, about God, saying, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Paul continues this exhortation to Timothy to be a proper church. And that starts with exercising proper prayer might not be what we thought about over the last few years. I know it wasn't for me. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for our leaders. We'll do that right now. But with the gospel identity and a proper gospel doctrine, it leads to proper, proper gospel culture, to live a certain way. As Paul laid out in chapter 1, the gospel, it has implications for how we are to live. And it begins with prayer. So let's do that again. Let's pray for the hearing of God's word preached. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the words in this passage. As you tell Timothy through the Apostle Paul in his second letter, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. And so we ask that you would do that this morning in this text for the benefit of us and our joy, and most importantly, for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we will see a few things about prayer. We're going to see how we pray, who we pray for, why we pray, and also what we pray. So let me read our passage. If you want to look at it in your Bible, it's 1 Timothy 2. We're just going to read that first paragraph. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. Paul says, First of all, then... I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed, a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth." Proper prayer. Next week, we'll look at proper worship, the second half of chapter 2. But first, 
Paul wants us to emphasize proper prayer. First of all, then, I urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made. Prayer is significant for Paul. He says, first and foremost, Timothy, you are to pray. Jesus said this before he even taught the disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they stand, or they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What Jesus is saying is that prayer for God's people, for his disciples, is assumed. It doesn't say if your pastor says, let's pray. It says, when you pray. Friends, our lives should be marked by consistent prayer. This is probably my greatest struggle in 25 years of walking with Jesus, of consistent prayer. I have to fight for this. I have to fight my good fight of faith, like Paul encouraged Timothy last week. And Paul first shares how we are to pray. Sometimes with supplications or petitions for what we need, what we need. Like Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. We're also to pray prayers or communication back to God, not focusing on ourselves. He says intercessions or asking for things on behalf of other people or thanksgiving, words of gratitude for what God has done for us. The variety of the terms that Paul uses here in this passage for Timothy emphasizes the depth of the spiritual discipline of prayer. If you go to our website, we spent a whole uh, seven or eight weeks on walking through the Lord's Prayer. Maybe this week would be a good time to listen through some of those short messages. If you click on the midweek tab, it is on there on our website. The Lord's Prayer can be a prayer, we pray, but Jesus' intention in giving us the Lord's Prayer is to give us a guide to prayer. We can pray those exact words, but we can also pray the themes and the ideas in the Lord's Prayer like Jesus did. And so Paul is doing the same thing right here with Timothy, giving him a guide to prayer. Selfishness is combated with our supplications. Prayers fight our self-preservation. Intercession wrestles with our ego. Gratitude confronts our own greed. This whole section focuses on who? It focuses on God. Prayer acknowledges that God is God and we are not. And we can talk to Him about anything, what we need, because He already knows it before we ask. And He loves to grant us what we ask of Him, because He's a good Father. And so first, how do we pray? Well, we pray in all sorts of ways. Paul lists out a few. Next, who do we pray for? Look again, it says, for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, we pray for everyone. False teachers are included in the everyone and all people. So are kings and rulers, people in high positions. We can admit it. I think it's okay. We're selfish people. I'm selfish. I pray for my family. I pray for myself. Some of you pray for the Red Sox to win the World Series. Last week, we probably all prayed for the rain to stop. And it did. It's beautiful now. We pray for the government to stop acting like the government. 
pray for the health and salvation of our loved ones. We pray for what we love. That's easy. But Paul desires we pray for everyone, including the players on the Yankees, your boss who gives you the extra work to do, the folks in Montpelier or D.C. that you just don't want to be around or listen to. Prayer focuses towards others. Maybe the kid who's sitting next to you or sat next to you that's now in the Alphas group. You can pray for them. Or your coworker when you go to the office tomorrow. The person who snatched that parking spot that you had your blinker on, you're waiting for it, and they just swooped in to get it. Or the person who posts on that Facebook group that every time they post, you just can't stand what they have to say. Pray for all people, not just the ones that we like. All includes kings and those in authority. But Paul is not asking for our agreement in this. Particular people are not emphasized here. The word all is emphasized. That Paul wants to pray for all people. Prayer shows us that it's only God who can change hearts, who can make the rulers and those with authorities realize that they don't have ultimate authority. Paul understood this personally. He had authority. And Jesus met him on a road to Damascus when he was going to persecute and kill Christians. And he said, knock it off. And he did. And I think the realization that Paul sees is that we can't effectively change rulers. We can't effectively change the authorities in our lives. But God can. So we pray for them. We pray for the rulers. We pray for false teachers. We pray for all because prayer is about God and not us and what God wants for these people. And so we pray in all sorts of ways for all sorts of people. And then Paul says, well, why do we pray? We pray because there's a mutual benefit. Look, it says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved to come to a knowledge of the truth. The world is always chaotic. But we pray in all sorts of ways for all sorts of people because it benefits us. We can receive some of the benefit ourselves. That we may leave, live a peaceful and quiet life. Rulers cause lots of chaos. Just ask our friends in Ukraine right now. False teachers cause chaos. Just Google a Christian denomination and see some of the chaos that is happening in our world and the denominations within the church. Bosses cause chaos. Kids cause chaos. Spouses cause chaos. Not Kristen, I do. People cause chaos. We all cause chaos. Paul is not saying, pray so that you might be left alone. Paul wants the church to be calm, cool, collected, with reverence and dignity. My sister and I, we fought all the time. I think our natural tendency as people is antagonism. Riots, protests, social media are adult versions of the antagonism that we learned as children. It's not a quiet life, minding our own affairs that Paul is talking about here. 
and this peaceful life that's granted by prayer, it contrasts what we saw last week in the false teachers that asserted confidence. We saw in verse 7 of chapter 1, or ungodly in verse 9, that they create disorder rather than peace. Personally, pray God grants you peace to be godly, to avoid the mayhem that our world loves. We love to battle, but prayer helps us battle that battle, to fight the good fight of faith within ourselves. And that's where prayer becomes mutually beneficial. It's for others as well. Pray in all sorts of ways for all sorts of people because God desires all people to be saved. Being quiet doesn't mean sheltering in a cave, separated from the world, and you Vermonters, I am talking to you. Quiet freedom doesn't thwart the ministry of God in the world that has been given to us as his church. But the frenzy around us does. In Acts 19, there was a riot in Ephesus when the church was being established, and it was the rulers of the city that quieted the crowd, that created peace, and Paul leveraged it to teach his disciples, to teach the Bible. Prayer combats our fret and our worry and the turmoil around us. We don't assert our dominance like false teachers do. They say, stop talking. And we start by talking to God. That's prayer. And often, only God can change the situations around us. Prayer asserts who's truly in charge. Our Father, who art in heaven. And so we pray in all sorts of ways for all sorts of people because there's all sorts of chaos around us and God desires that all people are to be saved in intercession praying on their behalf for all people pleases God who desires all people to be saved prayer acknowledges that who's in charge of salvation even for those who are in authority think about it prayer saved you if you believed Prayer can save others, too. Prayer is the Christian's way to exclaim our utter dependence on God. A person who doesn't pray doesn't think they need God, doesn't think they trust God. And God's providential hand is patient. We've seen this, and we were reminded of this in 2 Peter 3, that we pray God is patient with those who don't know the truth. Help them to believe Salvation depends on God, so why wouldn't we pray for the salvation of lost souls? I'm glad someone didn't stop praying for me, for God not to infringe upon my own autonomy. And so we pray, God, save my friend, save my family member, all people, infringe away, transform their hearts. Do it. Time is running out for your patience, so save them. We pray in all sorts of ways for all sorts of people so all sorts of folks might be saved, like you and like me. And God hears our prayer. He lovingly responds to our prayers in his sovereignty. The Christian life is a prayerful life, but not an entirely quiet life. 
Our prayers are mixed with our evangelism of sharing the gospel. We open our mouths expecting God would save sinners. We pray all sorts of ways for all sorts of people so all sorts of people would believe. We pray the gospel as we declare the gospel. We pray like this because of what Paul says in verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. A testimony opening up his mouth. Why do we pray like this? It's the purpose for which Jesus came to die. The Greeks and the Romans, they had many mediators between them and their gods and goddesses. They would pray, well, please allow it to rain or stop rain, to allow the crops go or to keep the city healthy, to not allow a plague to come through here. We got to appease these gods and goddesses to fend off disease, to preserve our families. But we pray to the one and only true God. He is our true mediator, the mediator between God and men. Christ died for all, which means that God's work through his son is sufficient for all, to save all, for you and me and everyone else in this world if they were to believe. And Paul emphasizes here Jesus' humanity. He says, the man, Christ Jesus, because Jesus is the only true substitute, the only one who can substitute his life for our sins so that we can be holy, that we can be blameless before God who is holy himself. So the false teachers in Ephesus, they were denying the humanity of Jesus where salvation is provided only by God so that he will receive the worship that he is due from all people. Jesus, God's incarnate son, the second member of the Trinity, Israel's Messiah, is the one and only mediator to provide the salvation that we need in the lost and dying world around us truly needs. Paul's saying, pray that, Timothy, for everyone. That's for us too, Cornerstone. So we pray the gospel. Help all to see their need for a Savior. Help all to believe the gospel when it's heard. Give a soft heart. Father, give them eyes that can see. Father, give them ears that can hear the gospel. The Son of God is the mediator, not priests and popes and presidents. Jesus is our mediator. He provides access to God so that we can go to the Father who saves. We pray, God, save others like you saved me. Mark 10, 45 says, or Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's the same word idea here, that Jesus came to save sinners, that it's available to all people who would believe, to release us from the penalty and the power of sin that we saw last week in chapter 1, verse 15, where God must punish sin. And Jesus took on himself the punishment that you and I deserved for our sins if we believe in him. This is the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners sinners to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Prayer, Paul wants our prayers to convey that Jesus' payment is the only adequate exchange for our sins. 
adequate for all. So God must desire salvation of all. So we should pray that God would save all sorts of people in all sorts of ways so that they might believe the gospel the only way that they are saved from their sins. And so why does this matter? I think we learn that in, from Paul in verse 7. Why it matters for him, I think, is the same reason it should matter for us. He says, For this I was appointed, a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth and I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul was appointed to those roles that God gave him so that he might pray. He was appointed a preacher, apostle, a teacher for the salvation of others. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 says, for, this is, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. He's the Savior of all, preserving them, being patient with them, giving them breath in our lungs. He's patient, but He saves those who believe the gospel. God used Paul, and God wants to use you and I. We are called to make disciples like Jesus did. We need prayer because we are called to be like Paul, ambassadors, heralds, preachers, proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's ordinary means of salvation for sinners and Christians is when they open their mouth to share the gospel. We don't use guns. We use the sword of the Spirit, the Bible. So as I was preparing for this series in 1 Timothy, I thought our time would be spent on focusing on praying for our government. And Paul wants us to be praying for all nations. We see that. He is the teacher of the Gentiles. Literally, it says, the teacher of the nations. In heaven, the church will look very different than this church that gathers here this morning. The church will rejoice for what God did in our country because many people have been saved. But we will also rejoice and praise God for what he did in other countries, in other parts of the world where he saved Christians who have believed. Prayer is not about us. This is why we participate with the International Mission Board and we help support missionaries that go around the world to share the gospel. This is why we support church planting in global organizations like Acts 29 to plant churches around the world from our little small church in rural Vermont. This is why we support local church planting in New England through the Net Center for Planting and Revitalization and the Village Green Collective that goes into the small forgotten towns like some of our our towns to plant churches because all includes alls, including the small parts of our country where we live. The church prophesies with the words of Jesus. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We proclaim like John the Baptist, behold in here the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God uses prayer. He calls us to pray, and He uses it to save sinners. There is a time to step in, to step up, and to shout out the truth. Don't murder children in their mother's womb. 
don't dictate how the church should worship or where and when and how we should worship. Don't say we can't preach the gospel. The Bible tells us what to do. But do we really want to know for the things that we are against, against the government? What about being a church that's known for our obedience to Jesus, for the proclamation of the gospel, regardless of the outcome that comes our way? What if Cornerstone Church is known, those are the people that will preach the gospel regardless of what happens to them because they desire, like God does, for all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, regardless of the persecution or the uncomfort that we endure. Friends, our most important words that we can say is not, don't do that to us. It's, this is the gospel that is delivered to you of first importance, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Do you want to believe it? Because you need to. We pray in all sorts of ways for all sorts of people, so all sorts of people might be saved. Not so that we could be free. Be grateful that we have lots of freedoms. It's so that they may be saved, though. We preach Christ and Him crucified. Our world needs a Savior more than cheap heating fuel or cheaper. Salvation is a result of evangelism and prayer. God, save more sinners as we open our mouths. Paul isn't interested in conquering. Patrick Schreiner, he wrote a new book, I would recommend it, uh, called Political Gospel. He says this in his book. He says, the church is a grassroots movement. As the kingdom is not a fully grown tree, it's a seed planted in the ground that grows slowly. Sometimes this growth goes undetected because in our new condition, we become better citizens of the state by reminding them of their duty. The best way we can be politically subversive is not marching downtown, not seeking to install new judges who agree with us, not electing presidents who will promote Christian values, though all of these things might be limited goods. No, the best thing we can do is to establish strong political, not partisan churches who proclaim the gospel of Christ that transcends any earthly party or politician. This is our primary political witness. And so how's your prayer life, church? I think Paul's word challenges us for prayer in three ways. First, we pray for all people, which includes the rulers and authorities. We pray for their salvation through the proclamation of the gospel. I was mentored by a guy... Uh, probably almost 15 years ago or so, and he would pray this for his town. He says, I pray that every man, woman, and child would have a repeated opportunity to respond to the gospel that live in my town. Would you join me in praying that for this town and the town that you live in? Let's not just pray for what we want. Let's pray for what God wants. We pray for all people, the cashier, your friend, the guy who pumps your septic, or your family member, the people in this church, 
the people outside of this church. It's not about us. It's about them. We don't pray for them so that we have a better life, but that they would be saved. It's not our kingdom be preserved. It's God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so may our prayers reflect God's will, not our will, as our wills become more conformed to his will as revealed in his word. And so may God transform us that we pray like Paul exhorts Timothy. So first, we pray for all. Second, we pray that folks would be saved and come to a personal knowledge of the truth, the saving power of the gospel. God, remove the lost inability to hear the gospel, to behold the wondrous mystery that we have been entrusted with. So many people don't see and so many people don't hear. So many people have hard hearts. And let's be a people and a church that prays for God to do a mighty work in their minds and hearts. To cause revival to happen in the area that God has planted this church. One commentator suggested that when we do not pray for everyone to be saved, we treat the death of Christ with contempt. We act like Jonah. When he was called to go to Nineveh to share the good news of repentance, what did he do? He went the complete opposite direction. He fled to exclude those who needed salvation. And when we do that, we functionally act like Jonah and we say, fine, to hell with you then. We have the solution for sin. We can deliver it to everyone. That God would open eyes and ears and soften hearts to respond. And so, God, we pray that He would break the world around us. Not so that we have a better life, but they have the best life that you want for them. A life that's eternal. So we pray for all first. We pray that all might be saved second. And third, we pray to be confident ourselves in our proclamation. Friends, our proclamation will not return void. As we are faithful to what God calls us to, God is faithful to use it for the sake of His glory and to bring people to Himself. Christ's payment for sin is for those who believe. If you're a Christian, someone shared the gospel with you and you believed. Paul is leading by example again. Last week we saw Paul confront some brothers in the church that had remained in sin and he cast them and handed them over to Satan. He led by example, calling Timothy to follow his example. Here Paul is saying, hey, follow my example again. We proclaim like preachers, as heralds. We go like missionaries, that word apostles. We instruct like a coach, that word teacher. Not praying for the lost, we say, is, says one of two things. It might say both. Not praying says, well, we don't need God. I can do this on my own. I can present things so magnificently that someone would believe in my wonderful presentation. I can accomplish the task. Or it says, we don't care for people. God is the one who saves. God has given us the message of truth. 
God is the one who desires all people to be saved. So which one is that is for you? Hopefully it's not both. Will we depend on God or we will depend on ourselves? God wants to use us to accomplish His purposes. So sharing on social media is great, it's useful, but there's nothing like opening your mouth and sharing maybe some of your own struggles in a face-to-face -face conversation of God's story of saving you from your sins, being open and honest of how He's worked miracles in your life. The greatest miracle is changing you and I from a sinner to a saint. Paul did that. Last week he called himself the chief of sinners, saved by grace. Paul sets the example. So next time you talk to someone, do you believe the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? I'm praying for you. We pray that God would give them soft hearts and open eyes and unstopped ears to hear the word of truth and to believe the gospel. And so how do we pray? In all sorts of ways. Who do we pray for? All sorts of people. Why do we pray? So we can share the gospel that saves them. And what is our motivation? We've been called to a mighty task. And we need help. Praying the gospel will give us confidence to say something because it's, it's through the proclamation of the gospel to the lost and dying world around us that people are saved. I love Paul's words as he opened up his letter to the Romans. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the Jew first and also the Greek, in other words, everyone. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Maybe you're not just scared to evangelize. Maybe you're scared to pray. I think prayer is oftentimes more caught than taught. You might have heard that before. So we try to pray a lot during our worship services to model what prayer is like. We have gatherings or the ladies gather for prayer or the men gather for prayer. Maybe you'd consider as one step of faith to join us in those, to learn more about what it's like to pray as we learn how to do it together. And so... Would you pray with me now as we do that? Father, thank you for your abundant grace and mercy in our lives, for saving us from our sins, for adopting us as your children into your family, for calling us to yourself and your call on our lives to believe the gospel never returns void. God, when you call things into existence, even things that don't exist as we see in creation, it happens. And so God, we ask, we plead, we petition that you would save sinners. 
God, you would save the sinners who don't yet believe in this church. God, you would save the sinners who don't yet believe in our families. You would save sinners who don't yet believe that live by us or work with us or we interact with at stores and just doing the everyday, ordinary, normal things of life in this area. As we're on a field playing a sport or we're interacting with other families that are part of those sports teams or people who come to buy something from us or places that we go to buy something from them, God, would you save sinners and would you give us confidence and boldness and assurance that you delight to save them, that we would petition and plead with you to do so. God, if we even think right now, there's probably a name that comes to mind of I would love that person to be saved. God, would you save them? for your glory and our joy as we get to behold you responding, delighting to give us the pleas of our heart. So God, we thank you and we praise you. Would you be honored in the rest of our time as we worship you for your abundant mercy and grace in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.